Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Let's get this job started. Oh, let's talk about. Hey. What's up? What's up, buddy? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you great. Hello. Okay, I just make sure. You know, sometimes in the house, they're going to be a mess. I get it. Good to see you. Good to see you, too, man. I haven't been seeing you since, like, resonate days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I come a long way from that. <laughs> hey, everyone. Hello, friends. Hi. No, you are Mr. Popular on Instagram. Oh, stop. Hi. What's up, everyone? Good to see you. Just waiting on... Andrew, if you're on here, I sent you the request. All you got to do is just accept it and come on video. So what's the plan for some? I'm kind of curious. You want to so, give us a little taste of what's to come? So basically, you know, I do these lives. I do a mental health check-in, and, you know, I make sure... Um, Everybody, you know, the check-in. Let's talk about mental health. And I guess the topic tonight is going to be mental health. You know, I might throw some, you know, questions about, you know, church and mental health, you know. Cool. Yeah. Andrew, send me a request to join, Andrew. Push request to join my live. <laughs> you know, Instagram Live's, like, format is really crappy. It's, like, really yeah. a pain in the butt to get things going. Yeah. But it's good to see everyone. Hi, friends. Yeah, so I'm excited to, I, you know, this, like, I might talk about mental health in church. Not a lot of churches do, so it's good to have people's opinions on it and stuff like that. You know, I have my opinion. Everybody has their own opinion. And, you For know. sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm currently pretty full um, on sushi right now, so I kind of have, like, that sushi crash happening. So, uh, so, so, so don't mind me if I'm uh, a little, like, uh, you know, cathartic. What's up, Andrew? Hey, I figured it out here. What's up? Hello. What's up, hey, man? How are you? Hi. This this is Tim. This is Andrew. Andrew, this is Tim. I gotta say, Andrew, your beard is beautiful. <laughs> um, and you know, as we both know, the rule of thumb is you always yield to the bigger beard. So I yield to you in this live. <laughs> So, to get things started, thank you for coming on Mental Health Check-In with Talik. Um, we're just going to talk all things mental health today. You know, our own experience, we're not mental health professionals. Well, Andrew, kind of close to it yet. But I'm not a mental health professional, you know, just using my experience. And we're just going to have a conversation with men talking about mental health. So, my first question to you guys is... We'll start with Andrew and then with Tim. How is you guys' mental health today? 
Oh man, that's a good question. You know, not something everybody, someone asks you every day, right? Mm-hmm. Oh man, my mental health today is, um, I think trying to figure out where it's at. Maybe a little, mm-hmm. uh, a little anxious today, a little, uh, figuring out life, thinking about all too many questions. We talked about existential therapy, my class, my counseling class last night. So I've been having existential, mini existential crises today about who am I and what's the purpose of life. I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> it, today has been a better week. Last week was a little, a little rough, but um, I think I'm doing, doing well today. Yeah. yeah. Watch you, Tim. How's your mental health? Well, my wife is due any day with baby number two, so there's that. Um, and um, we had a pretty busy weekend on the New Evangelical side. I had two people from our team fly in to spend uh, the weekend working on just like unpacking some of what we're trying to do. So, you know, today my mental health is pretty good. It's it's over, it's kind of peaked. You know, my my head's just very full of feeling yeah. today, trying to sort out so many of these things, but. You know, I definitely have my days of anxiety or whatever it would be, you know, disassociation. But today's a pretty good day so far. So I'm definitely I'm definitely here for it. Yeah, that's good. My mental health has last week. It was like rocky. You know, I had released a book and I was in class for my job. I had to study to pass this test. I wound up passing the test and I released my book first, but I couldn't focus on the book really. Even though I was promoting it, I couldn't focus on it because I was worried about passing this test that I felt before. And I passed it, but I felt like I was, like, sad. I was like, I couldn't celebrate it the way I wanted to celebrate. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually in a better spot, you know. I'm getting so much good feedback on the book. So I'm in a good spot and everything. And working right. on my That's awesome. There. So, first question to you guys. We'll start with Tim and then go to Andrew. What does mental health mean to you? Um... Can you define that a little bit? You know, like, in like, what way? Like, when you think of, like, you know, like, okay, when you think of stigma, you think of, you know, like, um, people saying men can't cry, they can't be depressed and everything. And be sad. What, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, I, I've had, I grew up in evangelicalism, and my my upbringing didn't really have categories for mental health, right? Like, things like depression and anxiety were just things that you prayed about. And uh, you definitely didn't cry or show emotion as a man. And I've actually been working on a personal level just to be more honest about how I'm feeling in any given moment. Um, you know, and not being afraid of crying if something moves me um, or, you know, being angry about something um, and expressing that in a healthy way, of course. You know, anger obviously can be expressed in unhealthy, damaging ways. But I've just been working on just being more honest about myself in those moments. So that's kind of what it means to me. You know, I think right now as I'm kind of navigating – um, just undoing some of how I was taught to exist as a man um, and just being more honest about how I'm wired. You know, like I am more emotional. I do cry sometimes. It just is what it is. I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah, that's good. How about you, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, I think the term in general, mental health, is a definitely a more positive one as opposed to looking at mental illnesses, right? That's a good start, but um, I think similar kind of probably background to, to Tim, maybe perhaps, you know, growing up in church environment, you know, I was aware of some mental health issues out there, but, you know, a lot of the responses to it was not a very holistic response, um, you know, 
many people may be familiar with the term like spiritual bypassing, you know, the idea that, you know, not to really be in touch with our emotions or our mental health, but, you know, just to kind of, you know, everything gets spiritualized. So I think some of that led yeah. to a lack of understanding of the depth of, you know, specific emotions or how mental health is at play in certain things, specifically, you know, around mm -hmm. the, the, the two probably most common ones, anxiety and depression, um, are often seen as, you know, in certain circles, easy ones to kind of overlook because you can just be joyful about everything or you, you know, just have peace about everything. Um, also, I think growing up in my household, my parents were not very emotionally aware, emotionally attuned to themselves. So I think the idea of being able to process emotions, being aware of what's going on with your emotions, what's going on in your body, what's going on in your mind, because we know that all three of those things are connected. Um, go on here. Video first. Um, we know all three of those things are connected, our mind, bodies, and emotions. So, you know, being able to just be aware. Of Freeze it again. Yeah, um, I wish he'd come back. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, mental health for me, like, I, I see myself, like, talking about mental health more. At first, I was, like, shy about it and wouldn't talk about it. And I talk about it way more. Like, you know, I'm more open about my story. You know, I tell people, you know, I was suicidal. I was depressed. You know, <laughs> I brought an urn for myself ready to die. Like, I'm ready. I talk about it a lot, lot more now. And I have no shame about it and stuff like that. You know, just at class one day, I think um, they asked a question that was like, what does like mental health um, mean? You know, they asked like something that nobody know about yourself. I said, you know, I'm like, a, I'm like a big advocate for mental health. You know, I do um, part-time work with um, NAMI. You know, I'm a group facilitator and everything in there. So like I see myself like, you know, the girl in my class, she's like, oh, you do mental health? I was like, yeah. And I gave her like support groups that she can go to. You know, we're not mental health professionals. We just be in groups, support each other. And you can finish what you were saying, Andrew. Oh, I don't even know where I got cut off. I was just saying what mental health. So um, question for you guys. Let's start with Andrew to work with our way to Tim. Growing up, was it, um, did you guys have to deal with any mental health issues growing up? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think um, I kind of alluded to this, you know, like I was saying, you know, not being aware of emotions and, you know, that emotions are healthy and that there's no really bad emotions. Um, just emotions all tell us something about our body and our mind and what's going on within us. So I think that was, uh, you know, actually, uh, obviously a detriment, not being able to be aware of that. Um, I don't think necessarily growing up, or maybe I'm still trying to sort this out, um, dealing with any mental health issues specifically, um, or at least I wasn't aware of any. Now, years later, maybe working backwards through looking at, you know, childhood and trying to figure out if there was anything that were going on then. Um, so no, no specific, I would say, mental health issues growing up, um, but definitely, you know, a, very much a lack of being able to understand what emotions are, how to deal with them, just how to process any of those things, how to deal with you know feelings of anxiety or depression things like that yeah how about you tim um yeah kind of similar to andrew in a way i mean I, like i said earlier i didn't really ever have categories for for these feelings that i might have had as a kid i definitely think looking back 
Um, I definitely had a lot of anxiety or I would get really worked up about things You get like that pit in the stomach and get really panicky about it. Um, but I didn't know that that, 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 that would be called anxiety or even like ruminating thoughts, things like that. Um, in my mid twenties was when I really got hit with like, um, really intense, um, just kind of time in my life where, you know, anxiety, panic, um, ruminating thoughts, um, you know, fight or flight, um, system activated, uh, and that really turned my my whole world upside down for quite a few years, actually. Yeah. And uh, that was the beginning of, of just out of desperation, having to find new ways of thinking about this, trying to understand what is actually happening to me. Uh, and that's where I started getting categories and, and labels for things and understanding some of the mental perspectives and, and the nervous system perspectives. And, and that's how I started to find healing. Also, theological things, too, were tied to that. So I would say that, you know, overall, it was a pretty – you know, go happy, go lucky kid, but definitely had a side of me that was very anxious, but never had categories for it. Yeah. Um, I know growing up for me, like <laughs> my grandma raised me. So like, like I didn't see her be like weak. So, you know, I feel like if you, if I was weak or just sad or something like that, I feel like <laughs> she probably cursed me out or something like that. But you know, you know, she was a single mom and stuff like that. Um, my next question for you guys, you know, I just want to, it's about, um, do you know anybody or have you ever been or had thoughts of suicide? I'll start with Tim and we'll go to Andrew. So when I was in the middle of my really uh, intense moments of just my, my, my brain freaking out, my body in fight or flight mode, I, I wasn't having necessarily suicidal thoughts or ideations. I was afraid of becoming suicidal. Oh, now I lost you. I hear, hey, I, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was afraid of, of, of becoming that way. That, that was the fear. It wasn't so much that I was ever seriously considering it. It was, what if I, I did yeah. something? What if I actually attempted something? And that would just scare the hell out of me, you know? Like, oh, my God, how could I be thinking, even, even entertaining this idea of what if, right? Like, it was so foreign to me until that moment. So uh, for me personally, I would say that was, was kind of how I um, encountered, you know, um, thoughts of suicide, so to speak, for, you know, for terminology's sake. It was more about the fear of becoming um, that way and letting those thoughts become something that I took seriously more than actually being um, maybe tempted, you know, to actually act on them. Yeah. How about you, Andrew? Yeah, uh, I myself have never... Um, Unfortunately, I had to, to deal with that myself, and you know, definitely have come across quite a few people um, in my life that have dealt with that. Unfortunately, with you know, people that I know personally, or just working within the child welfare system, coming across a lot of teenagers or even kids as young as eight, ten years old that have you know attempted suicide. Um, it's you know quite frightening and scary to see, and unfortunately, that you know people, some of the stigma of it seems to be you know, shedding a little bit, people are able to be more vocal about it. More and more people are coming out and being able to share their stories about it. Um, but obviously, there's still obviously a, a lot of stigma around that, you know, specifically in, in church settings or different settings, wherever you're at. Obviously, still a whole bunch of stigma and, you know, a lot of, I imagine, guilt that comes along with that. Um, but he, he, people being able to continue to share their stories about that to see how common and how prevalent that is, um, it is encouraging to see. Yeah, um, I've definitely know people, and 
been through a lot of different types of, you know, suicide attempts, you know, or just thoughts in my mind. I don't like just last year <laughs> during Christmas, I was like so sad that I had bought an urn for myself and my friend Clarkson. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> he wound up taking it and, you know, returning it back to Amazon. But um, I was ready to go. I was just like mm-hmm. so ready to go. I was just like missing my mom, not being here, my sister. And then, you know, my friends, they moved to, like, a different island. And I couldn't spend Christmas. Christmas and Thanksgiving was different for me this year. You know, I spent with my cousin, but it was, like, not what I used to. And um, I was just ready to go. So I just say out there, anybody that knows anybody that had thoughts of suicide or you're struggling, there is a national hotline out there, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. You can definitely call and chat with them. Or if you need any support, namibuckspa.org. We have plenty of support groups Monday through Friday out there for you, all different types of groups. We have Black Ali, the Black Minds Matter group, anxiety and depression, and um, a men's group. So, you know, come out here and join. My next question, you know, getting into it. I'm going to start with Drew and then Tim. Tim is known on social media, <laughs> known and we, and Tim, you might not know, Andrew is a pastor, you know? <laughs> I'm crazy cool. pastor. So we definitely going to get into this conversation. Okay. For the question, why is addressing mental health, why is addressing mental health so important in the church? Oh, uh, yeah, let me start this one. Okay, so, so I'm not, not currently <laughs> a pastor. Let's clarify that. But, <laughs> but um, why is it important? Oh, man. Ah, such a broad, <laughs> there's so many reasons why it's important, right? And why yeah. would it not be important? It could be a better question of why would it not mm-hmm. be important? Um, I think a lot of the church has lost uh, understanding of the incarnation of Jesus being fully human and us, you know, living into our bodies of understanding that we are fully our bodies were created and have a purpose and we're not just these disembodied souls that are waiting for this afterlife but you know our life here on earth matters just as much um so i think overall in some circles of the church there's been a disservice to mental health um there's been a stigma around it there's been confusion around it there's been unclear theology around it um, in certain circles, unclear theology. I grew up in a, you know, Pentecostal circles. So, you know, the relation to demonic activity versus mental health um, and the stigma that goes along with that and some of just, you know, lack of understanding. Um, there's a lot of guilt game that comes along with, you know, not having a sense of um, being able to be joyful, being able to experience it's not something that anybody can just always just muster up because they're told to believe in it. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stigma and guilt and shame that comes along with that. I think for me, I think of, you know, I think it's only just been over the last few years I've been able to realize that, like, there are no bad emotions. But in the church, somehow, I was taught to believe that certain emotions are bad <laughs> and others are good. But if God created us and gave us these emotions, then there certainly can't be good or bad ones, obviously, what we choose to do with them, and we're responsible for our actions. But our emotions are telling us things that are keying us into things that we're experiencing in our body and our minds. Um, so I think proper understanding of how those things interact 
Um, yeah, there's just so many reasons we could go on for uh, probably an hour. I'll just leave that at Yeah, um, man, like you said, Andrew, there's a lot of reasons. I think one of the reasons why um, this is important is because I think that largely speaking, not every individual church or person, but largely speaking, evangelicalism has really dropped the ball on this. And I think that this really comes from, um, you know, uh, Neoplatonism, right? Like really early philosophy of like your spirit is this and your body is this. And the most important thing is the abstract and the spirit. And I think that a lot of the circles, including like you said, Andrew, I'm sure you're familiar with Pentecostal circles like I am. And they really emphasize that like everything is a spiritual problem to be fixed. And mental health really has become one of those things where it's, no, medicine isn't the answer. Therapy is not the answer. Jesus is your answer. And what they really mean by that often is, um, is Jesus will supernaturally, almost like with his magic Jesus wand, fix your anxiety, right? So like yeah. Jesus can't, Jesus can't heal you through therapy or through, you know, access to healthy medication. Jesus only heals in, 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 in a magical way. And so I think it's important because a lot of people, I think, um, are um, perhaps needlessly suffering in these spaces, right? Maybe, and I'm, I, it is like you would, I'm sure Andrew would agree with me that, that this is a very complicated, nuanced subject and there's mental health versus, you know, actual mental illness. And there's a difference there. Yeah. So we're talking really in this context about, about mental health. And some people I feel like because they're so conditioned to just pray harder, have more faith, read the Bible more, um, they, they, they really, um, they really um, stifle maybe other valid options of getting um, help by people who have studied how the brain works, who have studied how, how anxiety can function and then have given, you know, maybe healthy ways forward. So I think it's really important that, that, that the evangelical church starts to really rethink its messaging on this uh, and starts to take this more seriously than just, Oh, it's just a demonic attack. It's just a spiritual battle. Um, Here's a Bible see you next week or just worship harder or God forbid, give more money, which some people have actually done before. So yeah. I think that those are some of the reasons. That's good. Um, my reasons, also reasons I think like, it's just basically like, um, it should be addressed in the church. Cause you got people that suffer in silence that you don't know, you know, there's like, I you got people suffering in silence, you know, I don't know we're supposed to like pray about it, but sometimes we need to, you need God in therapy. I always say that, God and therapy works, you know, not just God, but you just got to have therapy too. It works and everything. I think therapists are dope. I think they should have mental health people inside of churches, placed in churches for the people that need help, you know, maybe they can't afford, you know, therapy and stuff like that, you know, that's on staff at a church and that can help them. It would be so, <clears throat> so good because I know like when I first started going to church, I didn't realize I had these deep mental health issues, like with depression and issues with men. Cause you know, like I was sexually abused by two of my cousins. I didn't know I had issues with men until I went back to church, which is crazy. I started, I went back to church. Non-denomination was new for me. I grew up um, Baptist, apostolic, you know, and um, it was new for me. So I didn't realize I had these issues with men until I started going to church. So I think it's like really, really, really important that it's in the church, you know, we talk about it more, you know, not just, like I said, not just say, let's pray about it or pray it away. You know, let's, let's talk about it. Let's get therapy in church. Um, Amen. What are some ways that you guys think that church leadership can foster mental health into the church and into their community? Well, let's I think, 
I'm sorry, let's start with Sam and Andrew. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, um, I think kind of what you said, you know, like, um, I love the idea of churches having someone on staff who's a licensed, not just, not just counselor, but like licensed therapist. Uh, you know, I love, I love Tide's money going to, 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 um, being able to provide free resources to the community. And I think ultimately, you know, it, it's kind of tricky, right? Cause you have some pastors who would say, we just preach the gospel here. Like, we don't get involved with the other stuff. We don't get in involved with the politics or the culture's yeah. issues or of whatever it is. Right. And they kind of use that as a way to say, we don't really talk about anything that is relevant to the human experience besides yeah. pray this prayer so you don't burn in hell forever, right? And yeah. so you have those kinds of people. Then you have others that are all over the place. And I think, honestly, like, it, it, I don't expect pastors to, to, to have enough time on a 45-minute, like, window of talking to catch yeah. every single pressing issue. But that's why, like, I think it's important that, that, that churches are, are wide in their resources, right? Like, I think it's important that churches are wide in what they are able to offer to the community. Like, you know, maybe instead of building a million dollar lighting rig with, you know, professional, you know, stage and, and, and videography, maybe that money goes into yeah. like free resources for the community, like mental health resources, right? Yeah. So I think those are some, some easy ways. It's just trying to rethink like, where does our money go? And, and how do we use it for human flourishing instead of maybe just for trying to build up our Sunday morning event? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, I think certainly some churches are starting to talk about it more, but I think it can't only be talked about in regards to we recognize rent mental health, but then we only celebrate when we see people just all of a sudden not having it. Like it needs to be addressed that like people will have long term anxiety, people will have long term depression. And God is still with them in that, that God's not all of a sudden with you more when you feel that you may have got delivered and then celebrate these stories. Like, yes, we, sh we can celebrate when those things do happen. But then what about when you celebrate that story? What about for all the people that are still in the church that they haven't had some breakthrough in their mental health? What are we telling or what are we modeling for them when they're dealing with that time and time after again? So I think like a lot of issues in the church. We have to be careful of the stories that we're always celebrating. What is that saying for the person that, that's there that that's not their story? Because yeah. then we're modeling something different for them. And then that, if they're already experiencing guilt and shame, the guilt and shame that they experience for that not being their story, then just gets piled on so much more yeah. because we're modeling and saying in the church, we recognize mental health and we see it as bad or some, whatever some churches say. And then we're only going to tell you the great stories where someone no longer has it. They threw away their medications. They're no longer going to therapy, whatever the story is. Yeah. But the reality is some people will deal with it for a, for a, for a long time. And God is yeah. just as present with them in that as it is in a person that may no longer, you know, may have some sort of sort of breakthrough. And I think, you know, churches always talk about wanting to be safe places and places for people yeah. to be vulnerable. But we also have to model that as well. We can't just say we want to be a safe place and then as soon as people show up with issues that we're not equipped to handle and then yeah. not be able to accommodate them. Because if we're really trying to model vulnerability and really trying to model love, then we really need to be able to do that. And we really need to safeguard and forget, prevent safeguards for people that are in the church. And then yeah. we also have to be aware of, you know, other issues as well, you know, that come up with, um, you know, abuse that happens in church, spiritual abuse, mental abuse, yeah. all the d different types of abuse that happen in the church. I heard this on a podcast this week talking about, you know, if, if the church is really supposed to be, we, 
you often hear this analogy thrown around, or I used two years ago, that the church is supposed to be a hospital for sick people, right? If you ever go to the hospital, you, you can't imagine going to the hospital and the doctors preying upon their patients. Yeah. But unfortunately, in the church, sometimes things like that has happened and we haven't recognized them. We haven't set up safeguards to really create safe places for people that are dealing with mental health issues that are just all, you know, emotionally exhausted, coming in, dealing with all sorts of things, and then have people that just aren't equipped to deal with them. So obviously, mm -hmm. like Tim mentioned, you know, you don't have to be an expert on all these things, but know where to refer people, and then just model that, that, that those honest conversations of like, you know, this might not be something that gets fixed overnight. This yeah. might not be something that we can give you all the answers, but creating that safe place, creating a space for people to be vulnerable and really modeling and living that out, I think is the most important. I like that you said that because like, I think when I first, I'm going to say first, when I was going to church, um, like people, somebody would tell me like, is the enemy, is the enemy. And I know like, enemy like comes in to kill still destroy but i feel like sometimes we give them too much power like that whole time you know they say it's the enemy it could be like really a mental health problem like that i did like you know for me i didn't know that i had a mental health problem i thought i was cool i thought mm -hmm. i was the way i the way i was i thought i was cool you know but like i'm glad that like i started going back to church and realizing you know if i didn't go back to church like i would never realize i had mental health problems probably not even even be right here right there and talk about mental health just still going through the same stuff so it's crazy that church <laughs> opened that wound and i had to like try to heal that wound you know um which goes into my next question it's crazy that you're talking about andrew i still don't have a question right right when i came when you was talking what do you guys say right we'll start with um andrew and then tim i said this before right sometimes i feel like this sometimes i don't sometimes i feel that church are not church is not meant for people like me that has childhood trauma you know with sexual abuse and um you know depression and mental health problems because i feel like when i speak and open up about my story about you know, because I'm real open about, you know, being sexually abused as a child and everything. I feel like that pushes people away. So what do you guys say about people that think like that? Because some people think, like, church is not meant for mental, people with mental health problems, you know? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think you first have to, people have to recognize that every church, whether it's the denomination or even each yeah. specific church, has its own culture of like how they operate and like who's gonna just naturally fit into that culture. And a lot of churches, you know, that the specific model and culture is, is specifically designed for, you know, uh, two parent, you know, household with kids that, you know, has all these things. So churches are designed and built and recognizing, you know, where their weak points are. I think they have to be aware of those things. Some are aware, maybe some are not, but being aware and being able to you know, be aware where those weak points are. If we don't know how to address mental health, we don't know how to deal with that, um, creating space for that. But I think a lot of it, you know, like I kind of mentioned earlier, comes back to just being that safe place for people to be vulnerable. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of churches sometimes aren't those safe spaces. So if you're not going to be able to be a safe space for people to be vulnerable, then it, that, that makes it real, very tough for people to share their stories of abuse and trauma that have happened to them, of course, because it's not a, not a safe space for that 
to be shared. And I think a lot of times, you know, people in the church, like a lot of other places, there's a lot of helpers. So people want to help and they want to help other people, but they haven't always worked through all their own issues. So one oftentimes stories of trauma or abuse or things like that are shared. And it, it, people have dealt with that themselves and they don't know how to help because they haven't worked through their own issues as well yet either. Um, I think it needs to be a safe place so people can can really be vulnerable. Um, and fortunately, it's not. A lot of people come in thinking or being told that this is a safe place and I can share. And then when you've already have had trust broken and you try to be vulnerable again and it gets broken again, then it, it just makes it so much more harder because most people will come to the church looking for a community, looking for hope, looking for a place to share. And they really think it is. And then sometimes when they do share the, the, the darkness that's going on inside of them, then the answers they get, or they get turned away, or they get guilty even more. It's just so much harder, so much more traumatizing. Yeah. Sure. Um. Yeah. You know. I'm. Um. I, for me, this this presents the deeper issue with our current church culture. You know, is that we're we're event centered, not community centered. And when you advertise a bill of goods that you can't make good on. I think this is what happens, right? So when you advertise as a church, you know, your family here, we're a community, but really what that is, is you attend a Sunday morning event. How do you know people? How do you get even yeah. time to know them? How does a mega church, you know, uh, of 10,000 people, right? How do you feel known? How do people walk alongside you? And it's different, I think, when you're in a, um, a smaller community of people that, that, that you're devoted to spending time with. Because then um, that changes the dynamic. And I also think, too, kind of like Andrew said, you know, some people just aren't, they, they don't know how to handle it, right? Like someone says, wait, wait, what you said. It's like, um, thank you for telling me. Do I say, I'm sorry? Do I give you a hug? Like, do I pray? Like, what do I do in this moment, right? And that's really because I think a lot of us just model what we see from evangelical leaders, which is, okay, we pray or we give them a word instead of like really spending time to walk, walk with them in life and get to know them as human beings, not just problems to be fixed. Um, I like what you said earlier, Andrew, that, you know, we have to be okay with people having long-term mental health problems, you know, like, like long-term anxiety that maybe, maybe isn't fixed at all, you know, maybe not at all. And, and they're still devoted to Jesus. Right. And, and, and we still are able to walk alongside them and say, you're still family. Like we still care about you. We will, we will do what we can as a community to accommodate however we can to make you feel safe and included yes. and welcome, yes. right? Instead of making people who are on the outs of society conform to, to, to cultural norms, which actually sounds a lot like Jesus when you think about it, um, you know, considering how, how that's a lot of what he was doing, right? Taking outcasts and bringing them in um, and saying, well, there's space for you here. So anyway, I'm kind of ranting, but I just think we have to, <laughs> okay. uh, to, to, take this, to take this question seriously. We have to really rethink our current institutional structures in, the, in evangelicalism and ask if they're really conducive to the mission that so many churches claim to be doing. You know, loving God, love people. That's like a common example. How can we love people when most of them just attend a Sunday morning service and go home and think, I've done yeah. it. I, I'm a good Christian now. You know, I raised my hands and gave 20 bucks and, and said amen a few times. And, and again, had this thought in my head, I believe the right thing. Is that really helping them love people? I, I don't think it's, it, it's accomplishing the, the task ultimately. Yeah, that's true. Somebody said something in the comment that I <laughs> pinned to the comments. They said, only community if you fit a specific mold. And what do you guys think of that? 
Let's start with Tim and Andrew. I, I'll say <laughs> I agree with it. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But go ahead, Tim. <laughs> well, I for the record, I can't see the comments. My comments are frozen. So oh. I'm not even sure who's watching this. But that, okay, so the, the comment is what? What is it? Uh, somebody what, named Amber and Brian. They put only community if you fit a specific mode. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that, that's the work. That's why I have an account called the New Evangelicals. That's why it's so popular in a lot of ways because we've we've all experienced this. I mean, I was I was yeah. cool and I was in. I was part of the family. You know this story, uh, my friend. You know, you kind of see you, you know the circles I was a part of, and uh, you know my theology grew and they expanded beyond their comfort levels. So I was no longer welcome there. And that and that's the easy that's the easy ones. I mean, that's not even that traumatic compared to yeah. you know having the wrong skin color or having the wrong level of, of whatever, yeah. having mental health issues, right? I mean, that, 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 that stuff is, is extremely damaging. And so I agree. I, I agree with that. And um, again, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack with that statement. But many people and evangelical, I, I, w- I would argue personally, specifically in white evangelical spaces, are really finding themselves more and more on the fritz and at odds um, on theological topics, on how we approach other issues on how we handle and how we address the queer community, how we address uh, the BIPOC community, right? And, and once we start advocating for them, all of a sudden we find ourselves no longer family. So I totally agree with that person. I think it's 100% accurate for many, many people. Yeah. How about you, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately it's, it's you know, it's very true. I mean, it's been true for a lot of, you know, experiences. Yeah. I've had in, in church circles, um, whatever that mold is, and that off different for different churches or different circles. Um, but yeah, it can be very discouraging. I mean, granted, there are some churches out there that that, that do do a great job of having extending radical hospitality and having community. They're usually probably smaller churches and probably don't get a lot of attention for for the work mm-hmm. that they're doing. Yeah, That's why you've probably never heard of them. So there are ones out there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, you know, that specific mold it is usually, yeah, like some of the things that, that, that Tim kind of already mentioned, you know, it's, it's, you look at the history of denominations and, and you know, you're not surprised by the way some of them are today. Um, I mean, the history of things affects the way things are today and how denominations started and, you know, yeah. So it, uh, those, yeah. Unfortunately, very true. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, to that comment, I was watching um something. It was like some sermon. I don't know where I found it. That was on TikTok somewhere, and a guy preacher said Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to be clicked up, and I was like, wow, mm. that's true. <laughs> it's like you know, we get into churches, you know, people be clicked up. You can't be a part of this crew. I remember so bad. I wanted to tell my story so bad, but I feel like, like, it, like I'm telling my friend today, Clark. I was like, you know, I want to tell my story so bad, but I feel like. It wasn't good enough, you know. Mm-hmm. It took like a lot of stuff that I wanted to do. I know my mental health was messed up, but a lot of stuff that I wanted to do in church, I'm not doing. I couldn't do, but I'm doing it now outside of church. You know, with Nami, you know, being a facilitator, they trust me to lead a group. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like that. The church didn't probably didn't trust me with my mental health problems to lead a group. You know, they trust me. You know, the roughest moments. I mean, the most rough moment months was December and November and I was leading groups back to back just doing a lot of groups and they trusted me and stuff like that so it's like I look at it like it's kind of weird that what I wanted in church I didn't get I got it outside of church and stuff like that you know yeah. um mm-hmm. what can you guys we'll start with Drew and then go to um Tim what do you guys say that um 
to people that's been hurt by the church, you know, they like trying to find a different church. I had a church trying to connect, but they won't connect because of that church. What do you guys say? Oh, man. I mean, first of all, I would, you know, know that that, that pain and that experience is, is, is real. Like no one can take that away from them. Um, I think, you know, being able to be able to recognize it and just be able to enter into it and hold that space for them for whatever that hurt is. Um, obviously, this is the, you know, a popular topic out there today. And, you know, a lot of people have experienced a lot of traumatic things in the church. And then, unfortunately, some people are trying to say, well, you're just saying that as an excuse not to come. To church. And I don't think that's a necessarily healthy approach to to to. Yeah. enter into the pain that people have experienced because it's, it's, it's real and people come because they want to experience community. They want to be a part of something. They're, they're hurting, they're searching. Like people don't just randomly show up at a church if they, you know, haven't grown up in the church or have those experiences. So when people get hurt, it's because, you know, it, it's a real hurt of trying to belong and fit in. And it, it, it depends on what type of church you're, 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 you're talking about as well. Um, a lot of different layers and levels of that of course you know we've seen a lot of things over the last couple of years and the news of legitimate you know abuse of emotional abuse sexual abuse all sorts of things that take place so i mean church hurt is a, is a very broad category and i think it depends on what that hurt is how to walk alongside someone that's experiencing it but certainly being able to recognize it for what it is validate it and you know let them know that that is okay to feel that way, be able to walk through that with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it depends on what type of church hurt we're talking about. So. Yeah. I mean, this is what we mainly are focused on, you know, I mean, this is what we do all the time. This is what most of our account revolves around. This is the people who are watching this who are part of our community. You know, this is how they found us. Like they, they, they have experienced legitimate hurt. Um, it could be legitimate abuse. It could be uh, legitimate trauma. It could be legitimate gaslighting. I mean, these are not, you know, some of the stories we get in our DMs, and we get a lot. I mean, we estimate last year we got about 10,000 DMs. And, um, you know, the stories are just absurd. They're absurdly dehumanizing. They're ultimately harmful. And they do real damage, you know, um, in all, like, like you said, Andrew, in all kinds of categories. You know, what I would say to those people is, um, number one, you're not alone. Number two, um, you're allowed to be angry. And number three, if you want to keep your, your faith, if you want to, you, never, you don't have to, you're a human being, you can make your own decisions. But if you want to, there are paths forward that are not homophobic, that are not misogynistic, um, that are not ultimately so narrow um, you know, that, that they become almost cult-like. Um, there are ways forward in the Christian tradition uh, that do lead, I believe, to human flourishing and liberation. And we're, we're hoping to do that, you know, whether it's us or someone else. But there, there are paths forward, again, if you want to. I and mean, that's, that's a big thing that we always clarify. We're not here to, to gatekeep all over again or to start proselytizing all over again, that we found the new answers, you know, to solve all the problems. I mean, that's, that's how you become a fundamentalist all over again, right? Um, but I, that, that's what I would say, ultimately. You know, there, there are paths forward if you want. Uh, to maintain, you know, some kind of resemblance of your, semblance of your faith. But yeah. I get it. I mean, I, I really get it. There are bodies behind the bus and the machine 
keeps going. And more and more people are screaming at the machine, trying to care for bodies behind the bus while also telling the machine to stop. And, you know, some days I feel like it's starting to break. Other days I feel like it's starting to accelerate. So <laughs> it really depends on the day. Yeah. I just want to say to people out there that's going through church work and then just get into therapy, you know, um, that's the best thing you do. I'm in, I'm in therapy for other stuff, but I recently brought that up to my therapist. I was like, listen, I was like, I'm some church hurt, you know? And I may, you know, every time somebody talks about this place, I get angry or something. I just think of, like, you know, my first experience in a non-denomination and it just, like, messes up. But you should definitely get into therapy, talk about it so you can heal, you know, because that messed me up because the church I go to now, I'm like, there, well, I work on Sundays now, but I'm there, but I serve and be out. I try not to connect because I don't want to make the same mistakes I made at, you know, the last place before. So, you know, get into therapies, guys. Uh, I got two more questions for you guys. This question, I wasn't going to ask, but I need to ask because, you know, okay. you know, I'm a black man. You know, you guys are Caucasian. I had to ask this question. Do you think churches, I'm going to say non-denominational churches, like white leaders, were you think they were ready when the whole George Floyd start, stuff started happening? I'm going to start with Tim, then go with um, Andrew. But I'm going to say, I always said this, I don't think everybody was ready for that. You know, a lot of people of color being mad. Uh, my personal experience, I had to tell a pastor like, hey, you need to reach out to the black people in your church. We are hurting. We are sad and stuff like that. I don't think everybody was equipped to deal with it. So we'll start with Tim. Then with Andrew. Well, I think it depends on how you define equipped. I think some of them are definitely ready to protect whiteness. <laughs> they're, ready to, they're ready to reshare the talking points. They're ready to, I mean, I watch pastors that I know reshare Candace Owens talking points. So yeah, some of them are ready. Some of them are ready totally to defend whiteness and to, and to follow in line, right? Which is, oh, well, is, was George Floyd breaking rules? Was he a criminal? Yeah. Is the video really, ha you know, it's, it, it's that questioning. It's the nonstop questioning. Uh, questions that, that, that lead to no answers unless it fits that perspective. So in yeah. that sense, yes, yeah, some of them definitely were. In another sense, um, I, think, I think for some, it was a wake-up call. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, um, wait, super late in, in, in the story. You know, it shouldn't take – how many George Floyds do you need before you start thinking about that? And by yeah. the way, I should be clear, I, I, I was one of them. Okay, I mean, full disclosure, the Ahmaud Arbery uh, lynching and the George Floyd murder and the yeah. Breonna Taylor murder, for me, were the moments where I started saying something is wrong. I don't know what yet, but something is wrong. Um, but ultimately, you know um, – this this taps at a much deeper issue for me, which is, you know, what what waters are are our evangelical non-denominational churches drawing from, and the unfortunate reality, whether they do it willingly or not, and I would I'll assume positive and say that most aren't doing it willingly. The the traditions that 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 they're drawing from are steeped in racism. I'm, they just yeah. are. I mean, this is not like this is not rhetoric. I can give you the books that explain this like very clearly. They're well sourced. I can give you yeah. several you know, off the top of my head that show you how even as, as early as the 50s and 60s, you know, evangelicals were fighting to keep uh, segregation uh, intact, you know, and, and we have Jerry Falwell and the whole rise of even the public, the, um, the private school system. This is the history that we have to understand. So, um, you know, to answer your question, I don't think most were prepared to have the conversation because they've been, they've been taught colorblindness. They've been taught mm -hmm. colorblindness, right? They've been taught, oh, no, I don't see color. Well, you, you need to because, because some people, right, are being treated very differently still in America based yeah. on the color of their skin. 
And also colorblindness comes from white supremacy anyway, but that's a different discussion. So that's kind of my long-winded yeah. answer. I'm obviously passionate yeah. about this, you know, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think most were because most are colorblind and for them yeah. being colorblind means I don't see race. I don't talk yeah. about race. Um, no reason to discuss it. We treat everyone equally, uh, which means maintain the status quo, which means yeah. maintain the dominant power structures. That's what it comes down to. Thank you. Thank you for your honest answer. Thank you. Pastor Drew, go ahead, Pastor Drew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of, I mean, looking at the responses, I mean, obviously, just the, the responses of just lack of understanding, but then you know, I look at even once it was passed, the, the, the response that a lot of churches in regards that did try to address it was, you know, the, the whole thing of, of racial reconciliation, just moving to just kind of yeah. let's make things right again. Let's, you know, move past this quickly. And I think that, you know, shows a lot of, you know, how, you know, our country was, was founded. Let's just gloss over these issues and, you know, not deal with them. So a lot of things, you know, the church was not prepared to, deal with a lot of these things that have been going on since our country was founded, since a lot of these church denominations were founded and, you know, complicit in a lot of these things. Um, and I just think, you know, th the same way why churches are not equipped to handle mental health issues is some of the reasons why they're not equipped to handle race relations yeah. is because we're not comfortable with sitting in pain and suffering and we don't know how to grieve with people and sit with them. Um, and understand things from their perspective, even though that will never be our perspective. Yeah. Um, you can never understand the perspective of some of a person of color if you're not a person of color. You can never understand the perspective of someone that's dealing with mental health issues if you've never dealt with them. And yeah. that doesn't mean you have to deal with them, but you have to be able to hold that space and to be able to understand things from their perspective and be able to enter into it, be able to mm. grieve with them and lament with them instead of just moving on and only talking about the things we want to talk about and celebrate. So I think being able to hold that space for them and being able to, you know, have a theology of, of, of suffering and pain and be able to sit in those spaces is something that was lacking as well in order to be able to do that. I mean, I, thought, I think a lot of people, some people attempted to do that, just didn't know how to. So I think, you know, some education in the church about how to do that, how to, you know, to address those things. And then, you know, a lot of it comes down to a lot of churches didn't speak about these issues or address them because they know that, you know, certain people will be upset. They would lose money. Yeah. It would be, it would, it would upset the institution of, of some of these churches and some people would leave and some dollars would leave. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people just didn't take stances because they knew what the, the repercussions of it were. Yeah. So that shows you how, you know, embedded some of these things are in some of these churches because yeah. it's, you know, once you start unpacking them and dealing with some of them, then you have to deal with a lot of the things um, yeah. that were going on in the church. I mean, obviously there's, you know, a lot of churches didn't respond so well. There's definitely some churches that yeah. really tried to address it um, and really, you know, sit with people and hear their, hear their stories, hear yeah. their voices and not just, you know, make a nice show of, you know, we brought a few people of color on stage and said a prayer together and held hands. It's over. Um, but really be able to look back at the history of everything, yeah. be able to hold that space. And, you know, again, going back to the whole mental health thing, you know, be okay, understand that racism has been around for a long time. Unfortunately, it is still here with us, 
um, and not just act like this was another isolated incident of racism, but understanding the, the institutionalization of racism, um, just like you know, some of the mental health issues is going to be here for a little while. So how do we how do we deal with this? How do we actively work against it? Yeah, I listen. Uh, I thank y'all for your honest answers. I just like you know, I like in my own personal experience, I seen like when that happened, I felt like not all, but some was like basically you know, let's cater to our people of color so we don't lose them. That's how like I felt and stuff like that. You know, it was some churches that was genuine that really cared and stuff like that. I remember I went to um, church I go to now and I was just walking. I didn't even know the fact that he walked up to me and he was like, um, I'm so sorry what's going on in America, Pastor Brad. I'm going to say his name, Pastor Brad from City Life. Cool guy, I love Pastor Brad. He was like, I'm so sorry for what's going on in America. It's not right. And it was cool. It was, you know, white guy coming up to me saying that was really, really cool and stuff like that. You could feel that he really cared and really was sorry for everything that's going on in the world. You know, I'm glad that you guys both answered that because I see, you know, y'all social medias and y'all talking about it at one time, point in time and stuff like that, and how it wasn't right, you know, with the whole, you know, just black people getting killed and everything. I just want to thank y'all for doing that. You know, that's why I asked the question. Um, my last question before we go, um, what does, what have you learned about yourself mentally within the past years? We'll start with Drew and then go to Tim. Oh man, within the past year, last like a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think during the pandemic, you know, a lot of terrible things happened. Um, a lot of us had some extra time on our hands to, you know, whether working from home or whatever those reasons may be. So I began to explore a lot of, you know, things, went to a few counseling sessions, got connected with a spiritual director, um, did a bunch of different things, doing a lot of reading, a lot of conversations with my wife about both of our family of origin. So just a lot of all the things all at once over the last couple of years of starting to just learn how to, I guess, just, just you know, learning how to tell your story and learning how to see all the issues there, learn how to retell it. Um, but just doing a lot of self-examination and just, you know, learning how to lean into understanding myself um, and learning how doing that is intimately connected with, you know, my relationship with God is being able to understand and be known by him, understanding and knowing myself. So I would say over the last couple of years, last two years or so, um, just learning, I would say just learning how to be at home within myself has been the biggest learning point. Um, learning to be at home within myself, learning that that's where I can connect with God and um, just learning my story, learning how to retell it. Um, yeah, a lot of self-reflection and examining all the things that we just do and we think are part of who we are um, that have shaped us along the way, whether that be our upbringing, our church experiences, our, you know, school experiences, all the things that have shaped us to be who we are and exploring. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I would say for me, um, learning how to trust myself. 
Um, again, here's a, for the first time, you know, I'm a type six Enneagram, uh, already don't trust yeah. myself. Uh, I also was raised Calvinist, so ultra don't trust myself. So I think just having to learn how to trust intuition, to trust my gut. Um, and also when I was wrong, just acknowledging that, you know, and, and, and learning that, you know, I'm not always going to be right, but having a certain sense of just core conviction and trusting that, um, you know, as opposed to always second guessing every decision that I'm making, I would say the biggest ones. That's good. I also learned that, you know, that my story matters. You know, um, like I said, I recently released a book on Amazon. Um, like just getting the feedback and everything about the book and everything. Everybody's like, you've been through so much. I made it like basically I made a short book and put my story into seven chapters, like really, really short port, 25 pages. And I was able to tell my story, able to accomplish that, you know, as a black author, you know, like, Back in the day, we weren't taught we weren't taught to read or write and everything. And the first black author is Phyllis Wheatley, and people came after her and everything. So, like, I told one of my friends, I was like, if I was not able to sell a book <laughs> at all, like, I was happy that I was able to release a book. You know, um, mm. like being that what I've been through. Andrew knows like a lot of my story, like mentally, you know, just spazzing out and everything, just real bad, bad mental space to come to a point where I'm okay, you know, I'm taking my meds, I'm okay. Um, I'm fighting for mental health. Even with the stuff with NAMI, like when I did all that, was pushing through all my hurt and um, pain during like the month of November, October, November, December, um, they still gave me like facilitator of the month. I didn't agree with it at first, but when he explained it to me, so after all the stuff that you was going through, you still pushed through, showed up, and was there to support others and stuff like that, you know? Like, I got this mental health, you know, I never thought I had this stuff. Like, I'm a survivor, I'm strong. You know, people used to say that, and I would not take it in. I was like, mm. nah, not at all, stuff like that. So I just learned that, like, I'm a fighter. Like, I always fight for mental health, especially for men's mental health. I want to be that man that's like, you know, it's okay, you know, look at me. I went from trauma to triumph you know i'm still struggling with my stuff but i'm better than i was before and you know mental health is everything to me and i thank you guys for sh you know coming on here you know what's going on next with you guys we'll start with Tim and with andrew just want to know what's going on with you guys next getting ready for a baby <laughs> that's it <laughs> yeah, i mean she's due next week so at this point it could be any day yeah it's good Oh, about to hop off here, put the kids to sleep. But yes. uh, in general, life not waiting for spring. Can't wait for spring so we can uh, get out. And uh, we, I, I've never done much camping in my life, but over the pandemic, someone gave us a free pop up camper, and now we're on our third camper. So we got into the camping life and all the outdoors things. So looking forward to spring to get outside. Um, this winter has yeah. so I'm ready for it to be over. Thank you guys for being on here. Thank you for coming out here tonight and just talking about mental health and church hurt, whatever type of things we talked about. I really appreciate you guys for coming on here and speaking, man. Y'all have a you got it. great night and peace out, everybody. See ya. All right, Blake. Thanks. Thank you. Take care.